Gelada and I are joined today by Elizabeth Chesters, a user experience consultant and software developer, as we delve into the world of human-computer interaction. Hello and welcome to another episode of Oxl FM. I'm Sefran. And I'm Gelada. And today we are joined by a guest. We have Elizabeth with us. Hello, Elizabeth. Hey, how's it going? Hello. Oh, do you prefer to go by a different name, like any online handles or anything like that? Um, I try to keep my name short to just L. I've worked with a lot of international people and uh, Elizabeth seems to be a bit long-winded for him. I can see that. <laughs> Poor buggers. Well, L it is then in that case. So, hello. And you're with us today to discuss something that we've we've kind of touched on in the past, but not in a lot of depth, which we're hoping you can bring to the table for us today. And that's a HCI, or more specifically, humor-computer interaction. So in the way in which we sort of interact with and, I suppose, control, maybe? I guess that's, that's maybe not the right way of saying it, but computers. So in the way in which we, uh, technology and us work together yeah something we kind of touched on in the past with things like the amazon echo which was one of our kind of our earliest episodes mm. um a similar kind of idea to that and we just wanted to kind of get an idea from someone that really like knows their stuff so uh, uh El, why don't you kind of tell us about like what you do and like what your background is in that okay so i started in the tech industry by being a computer science major uh do we say major in, in the uk i did a computer science you degree. can do yeah Probably. yeah from that, I did a placement year, I did some usability engineering, so I was a developer for about eight years in total. But now I'm a user experience consultant, and that basically means I pester people to understand how they use technology, understand how it doesn't work for them, and then fix that um, for a whole range of clients, which is pretty cool. But I am now a student in HCI as well, so I'm going back to it. I did a little bit of my computer science degree, but it is a whole discipline within itself. And it's understanding how people can be manipulated by machines, how we build relationships with them, all sorts of that jazz. One of the things that was really interesting to me is the fact that it, it sort of it never stops. It's like it's always it's an evolving kind of subject because as more and more things become available, I suppose, and people come up with new and new ideas, there's always like more challenges to make sure that those things are user friendly and available to be used by people. Yeah, and. And this has been around for like as long as we've had, or pretty much as long as we've had computer science and, and computing, I guess. Like, has it been something that's, because it's not a recent thing, right? Like this, it's always been something that people have studied. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as much as we say human-computer interaction, um, we've been building machines um, for for centuries i mean we had automatons which were pre-programmed machines which would do things like drawings or perform simple calculations mm. and our first one ever recorded was in 1737 and it mm. looked like a human so it's not even just it's not even just computers in the traditional sense it's also machines and sort of just what what would kind of define the difference then is it like something that we've built or something that works by itself and that we're interacting with or Probably. I mean, think about how people get so angry over machines taking their jobs. It's not exactly what we would class as a computer. Mm. Um, and so it's anything that, I suppose it would be man-made, anything that engineered, things like that, and how mm. we, I mean, 
you have also human robotics interaction as well so understanding how people interact with computers which are even more evolved i would say than computers being mm. being robots and things like that and how we build the interactions with them it's just it's a much broader kind of field of study than i think maybe anybody considers but when you stop and think about it it's quite important because I mean, technology, if we're talking about kind of machinery and technology as a whole, rather than just computers, but computers specifically, affects every aspect of our lives nowadays, especially in, in more of the traditional Western world, I would say, I guess. But even then, like pretty much anywhere in the world, really. And being able to use them uh, efficiently and, I guess, to some extent, enjoyably as well. You know, you want to make sure that, that there's something that you can do without stress, I guess, is really important. And that's almost a given a lot of the time. It's, it's sort of something that you don't, consider it's just like oh well obviously yeah but when you think about it it's actually a lot of hard work and effort going into making sure that that is the case which i guess is your job right (laughs) (laughs) yes absolutely so i mean for me that's the fine line between human computer interaction and user experience which is what i feel like hgi is evolving more into so Mm. for me hgi is understanding just how people can be manipulated and how we build relationships. So, for example, in uh, Clifford Nass's book, The Man Who Lied to His Laptop, it was actually mentioned that BMW made a recall on their cars with their first GPS uh, released in there. Um, And this was because they had a lot of German men ringing up saying, my car is broken. And they're like, what what do you mean? It's like, it's a woman giving me directions. (laughs) 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 So they had to recall their cars. That's That's ridiculous. ridiculous. (laughs) Exactly. That is so ridiculous. It's understanding like how people personify machines as well and what you learning what you can and can't get away with like as designers as well, which is fascinating to me. And user experience does come from that to make sure that it is enjoyable and it is friendly and the lasting memories of your product or service mm. are the good ones and not the bad ones. When you say um, like manipulated which sounds very malicious. Do you mean that in like a malicious way or do you mean in in a in a I don't know if they, what is the non-malicious version More of technical definition of the word, I guess. Um so for example, another uh, experiment that I read on was that people can feel uh, reciprocation for example and they mm. can be persuaded by computers based on the language that the computer uses. Mm. And it's not even just computers in general. So for example, if you had there's an experiment done with two computers. Uh, one was helpful, and then you, the person moved on to the next machine. And the pers- that computer asked for feedback or for a favor. And people, when they were asked by a different machine, didn't feel that reciprocation. But they did feel it on if the first and same computer which had helped them for a favor, they felt more inclined to do so. Mm-hmm. Like you said, we're personifying them, right? Like we're personifying, yeah. you're personifying this machine that's that's helped you out and you're applying the same kind of thing that you would apply to a to a person, to that machine, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And we are persuaded by apps every day, like to check us, to tweet, to follow someone, to connect with someone on LinkedIn, although their persuasion techniques are a little bit iffy. <laughs> And there is a dark side to this. I mean, we have dark patterns as well. So mm. when we have those little pop-ups that says, would you like to sign up to our newsletter? And they're, yes, I love you. Or the no, I don't like good favors or I don't like good offers. It's things like that. So yeah. it can have a dark side. And that is dark UX. It has its own um, coined term. 
that's something that I've as a as a software developer that's something that we've come up against plenty of times as well you know talking about things being designed in a way that it's like you you mentioned about sort of designing something so that people's memories of what you of, of using your service or whatever are good but then dark patterns in in design in that sort of interaction design is more like designing for the person that built the software or the service or whatever rather than for the customer using it right like you're you're designing with different goals in mind i guess yeah and the whole industry has changed i suppose with the technology now and the internet they are realizing that consumers have more choice it's a lot you have like 12 year olds programming now in their bedrooms they can build a good app if they know what they're doing Mm. more so than a 50 year old who refuses to speak to a customer and vice versa a 50 year old could do the same thing just by speaking to someone but they're realizing like with all these review apps and the internet where people have a lot more power in their voice that they do need to start listening to the customer because it's so easy to change and the competition is fierce Mm. there is so much out there i mean look at all the different ways that you connect with people now you have linkedin facebook twitter why do we use one over the other Mm. we have choice yeah and that's something that you do a lot of right as a ux consultant you know talking to people and finding out about how they use something and how they interact with things is a huge part of that right which i think perhaps people don't necessarily realize people might think that it's about going away and coming up with different ways of something looking or different ways of something working rather than and in sort of isolation when actually a lot of it is about talking to people and measuring how good something performs right yeah, I mean, that is my job. I've worked out, I've interviewed over a hundred different people and it is absolutely insane. <laughs> and the most powerful thing that you can, for a client is to see someone actually using their app and just the different ways. I'll interview six people in a day. Some projects span like 20 people over four or five days. It can be intense. Mm. But the quotes, some of them are absolutely amazing. I have some here in a so one guy, um, I can't remember which website this was. I think it was a, a retail website. He was trying to buy something. And one of the best quotes that I have is, I'd be outside having a smoke off all and putting the kettle on. I'd be thinking, bollocks to this. I've had enough. And go lie down in a bucket of Radox. <laughs> he was just trying to... <laughs> what? The guy sounded exactly like Silla Black. He was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but this is powerful, right? To understand like how passionate he feels he just wanted to buy something and for Mm. a business if he can't buy that thing they're literally what sort of business model is that where you have some someone who can't use your website to buy something that's the worst business model in the world definitely (laughs) and that has bad ripple effects as well because then that will spread to other people that he talks to using well-designed systems that allow him to communicate his uh, negative thoughts more uh, effectively (laughs) Yeah, which is why the last question that we always use in like user interviews is how likely are you returned to this website and would you want to return to it? So some clients are so big that they are the only, they have, have a monopoly. To. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. But it's that wanting to. And then mm. how likely are you to recommend this website? And that's the killer because if they say no, just think of how many people they know yeah, and how definitely. many people they can say just don't bother. Yeah. And we have the scenario like where the friend has 
recommended the website which is how we get them to go onto it in the first place and sometimes we've had like which friend has recommended me this website they're awful friends (laughs) (laughs) one guy even sat there and said i would risk my reputation if i recommended this website (laughs) wow and i imagine that's a really fine line to walk as well I, i i imagine that comes down to maybe just one simple error that hasn't been picked up on which can really sort of change everything straight away. And that's very much your job to sort of like hunt that down, I guess. Absolutely. I remember I really vividly see this woman. She was trying to buy black shoes and it was the only color the shoes were sold in, but she had to select a color, but it wasn't obvious that it was selected Uh. and she was not having it. (laughs) (laughs) And I can't be leading. I'm not there to correct their Mm. mental model of how this website works because I, I need to understand how they would use it without me being there. So I can't tell them, like, just select the color. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that that's valuable information because, like, you would never have considered that. But until you've done that study, you didn't. You wouldn't know that that's a problem for maybe other people. So that just shows how valuable that role is. Yeah. And also it's a lot easier because I don't know the website that well because I'm working on an agency. Mm. I'm working in an agency. Mm. So it's not my website. I don't feel emotionally attached to it. I think it would be different when I go in-house. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like it's my work. (laughs) One of the things that I just thought of actually from listening to just those few stories you had was what is some of the more common kind of missteps that you you come across when you're doing this like what kind of happens more frequently like yeah come on i know what you've done sort this problem out this is obvious performance i mentioned this because people don't think that it's a ux thing but it is if your page doesn't load within seven seconds like people are off that page and i mentioned this because you have a developer audience as well and i've done talks for london java community to say like ux is just as much your responsibility as it is mine Mm. i will champion my users but it comes from your code and i speak to you as a developer as well i've seen Mm. the actual methods that you have to type in your code to make things accessible and user-friendly so that's definitely for one of them number two carousels no one remembers what's (laughs) in each of your carousel (laughs) pack it in (laughs) that's one i'm gonna take that with me forevermore because the amount of times when I'm working on building something or design or not designing something, building something for someone and people always want carousels because they can't decide what they want to show. And it's like, and I'm always like, no one likes a carousel. Do not put a carousel on your website. <laughs> like it's one of those things that the person who wants the website really wants it because they want to cram everything in and they mm. want to show so much stuff, but no one likes it because it's moving around. It's hideously inaccessible as well. Um, and it's just, yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna soundbite that. <laughs> Just on the carousel as well. When you're putting five different options in mm. there at once, you're also confusing the user. I mean, do you want to click? Do you want them to click on fridges, washing machines, dryers? Like, yeah. pick one. <laughs> I need to pick one. Tell me what to bloody do. <laughs> It's like a it's like a tall guy. Like we can go here, 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 or here, or here. I'm like yeah, but we've paid you to recommend us the bloody thing. Like. Yeah. Pick one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so thinking about like obviously a lot of the stuff that you do is 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 to do with um websites and apps and things like that because as you say from a 
From a more practical point of view of HCI, it is very much like user experience. And user experience right now, a lot of that is, you know, a lot of people are interacting with websites or they're interacting with apps and stuff like that. But as we've talked about previously, and and I know that it's something that you you talk, you kind of touched on when we talked a little bit about the history of it as well, is that that's not always been the case and it's not necessarily always going to be the case, right? And something that I find really interesting is that we all know what a mouse and keyboard is and we all know or a lot of people know what a mouse and keyboard is and a lot of people know how operating systems work and you have, you know, you interact with something graphical by pointing at it and clicking and dragging around and all of that kind of thing. And now we're already seeing a shift away from that, which has been such a mainstay of the general sort of way that we interact with things. Um, And we're moving more to, you know, touch and gestures and things like that. And obviously on a practical level, that has an impact with your, UX side of things in terms of the fact that you've now got people are interacting in a less precise way, I guess, like touching versus a mouse in the sense that you'd potentially have to have, you know, larger things that people are interacting with, or in the case of the carousel, like now people can swipe between things. So you don't necessarily have to have an automatic moving carousel, um, although maybe just still just don't have it. Still don't do it. <laughs> but, you know, even beyond that, even thinking about beyond, you know, touch and that kind of visual thing, we're also now looking at that sort of ubiquitous side of things where you've got, um, you know, voice and the, like the voice assistants that we've talked about and stuff like that. And what kind of, what kind of stuff goes into thinking about designing those? And how do you think that the way that we think about designing interaction with computers is going to change when you're going from something that is very visual or, or something that is very precise and kind of technical, I guess, like a keyboard and mouse is sort of, it feels like, especially when you think about the origins of that, that feels very kind of technical and it's quite sort of, I don't know what the right word is there, but it's sort of, it's a, it's very machine-like, I mean, right? Like yeah, I think technical is the good description for it. Like the interface that you're using is very, is, is, is relatively speaking quite close to the the computer that you're interacting with compared to touch and voice and that kind of thing. Um, and how does that sort of impact? I don't, I'm not trying, I'm trying to think what my actual question is there, but it's kind of like, how does, how does that sort of impact how we think about interacting with computers and what needs to go into thinking about that? So the things with these technologies as well, like uh, let's focus on Alexa, for example, Mm. the fact that it has a name, is supposed to make it more friendly. It's supposed to make it more human-like. And to a point, that is what people want. They want to do the same thing in a familiar way. Mm. <clears throat> so I, I want to put a timer on. I can just tell her to put a timer on. It's pretty much all that she's useful for for me. <laughs> but there, ha- there is a point where people do get really frustrated. And there is a machine-likeness to them because well, they are machines. And it reaches a point where people are starting to realize that it isn't a machine. Well, you ask it to tell a joke, and they're so bad. <laughs> if you're feeling lonely, do not turn to Alexa. <laughs> and we need to appreciate their limitations in that respect, and we need to stop forcing them to be this too human because there is a point mm. where it's just like it's, it's not responding to us, mm. and that we're trying to make them more human-like, and that is becoming a more expected thing of this. I've seen children walk up to a robot and just talk at it as though it's going to break its scripts and they're just waiting there going what is this thing why is it not talking to me i'm talking to it but it's talking and it doesn't work and that is a serious limitation we need to stop making computers so human-like because it 
sort of encourage the expectations to be too high. Mm. Computers need to be better at computers and we need to encourage humans to be more like humans and what they're good at as well. Mm. We need to aid human to human interaction via computers, which is what something like Facebook and Twitter does. I've met so many Mm. people through that, but I don't need a robot to be a human. It's just not going to work. And with my accent, Alexa doesn't work anyway. (laughs) (laughs) It's really interesting because... One of the things you're supposed to think about is like you want to try and make these things as human as possible. You want to make them friendly and accessible part of the home. But at the end of the day, they are tools, aren't they? That's the whole point of them. They're there to accomplish a goal. And if you treat them as such, they actually work significantly better. But companies seem to very much be pushing the whole idea of they're part of your life and part of your household. Yeah, we've seen this in like robot pets, which if I'm honest, I would I would still get. <laughs> <laughs> But that's because they don't poop on the floor and I wouldn't have to pay extra in my deposit in my London flat. Yes. 100% would get a robot dog. (laughs) I guess it's interesting as well because from a technical point of view, the more human you try and make something, the more difficult that is as well to achieve. And so it's an interesting conundrum in that we're sort of assuming or it seems like companies are assuming that that's the goal, right? That the goal is to make it more human-like and more you're able to interact with it more like you interact with a human, but actually they're kind of setting themselves up to fail because you're then ending up in a situation where you've got something that just doesn't work like that. And like you say, it's this, you're setting the expectation too high. Hmm. Uh, and so I guess, how do you counteract that though? Is it just, do you wait for technology to catch up and make it so that you can have it as a more human level interaction? Or is that something we can't ever achieve? Or is there something else that we could do? I think maybe now is not the right time to be making them so because i think there needs to be more research Mm. because as our relationships with technology grow the psychology of how we treat computers is going to change as well i wouldn't say that i treat my phone the same way now as i did like 20 years ago partly because i didn't have Mm. one when i was five but um (laughs) we get the idea (laughs) i mean saying that though the first robot this month got its first citizenship in saudi arabia and oh yeah i saw that yeah i was quite surprised by that country as well being so accepting of a female robot even though it's not actually female because it's a robot (laughs) but it does make you think though that our psychology and our relationships with computers is changing Mm. but i think because of films and the unknown because they're not so accessible right now that we are still scared of what computers are going to do every bloody film that includes a robot is one that is trying to take over the world or destroy humans and you come out with like these papers that just like will robots lead the future and right now we are scared of them because we don't know what they're capable of and when they start to think for themselves and yeah, it's a whole other kettle of fish. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. I guess we almost need another episode on artificial intelligence as well, because mm-hmm. it's not something we've we've touched upon that much. But you're right, like people still, and I guess perhaps part of that is because we try and sort of humanize them a little bit, yeah. is then it seems perhaps m- even more intimidating because it seems like you've got this like superhuman almost. Um, that but not is a, quite. That is an AI and is a robot. Exactly. And the machines already that we do have have already started replacing jobs. And that's what a lot of people fear, that they're going to be replaced by a robot in one way or another. Mm. And you even have sex dolls now. Like, <laughs> that is a thing. And it's, yeah, that's that's a whole other kettle of fish as well. <laughs> 
Yeah, and I guess because even though like traditionally people think about their jobs being replaced by robots in the sense of like manufacturing or something like that, but you're right that it's not necessarily just that because you also have like customer support or something like that being replaced or anything really potentially. Yeah, more and more yeah. human interaction can be replaced by computers as time goes on. And that's mm. obviously problematic, but also can be used for useful things too in the same sense. But And that that's sort of like a different discussion, I suppose, isn't it? That's sort of like the morality of technology replacing human needs. Mm. And also the psychology. HDI is very much the psychology of relationships as well. We under, we need to understand how humans build relationships with humans to try and replicate that with machines as well. Mm. Um, so it's definitely psychology-led. You just brought a good point up there, like, Jao, with, like, computers kind of... Or, or computers and, like, kind of, like, AI almost, mm. yeah, sort of, like, pro, pre-programmed, replacing sort of, like, customer support. And that is sort of a different way in which, you know, people and humans are interacting with computers then what would you say, uh, L, is the next sort of way in which interaction is going to happen from a physical sense? Like at the moment we've got like touch and we've got voice. What's sort of the next step? What would you kind of imagine is, is going to happen next? I have absolutely no idea. Oh, <laughs> so, damn. <laughs> Asking the hard-hitting questions today, I see. <laughs> I mean, is it going to be sort of like a um, an evolved form of what we already have? So is it going to be like a more fluid sort of voice system? But or would you advise maybe staying away from that? Because you were just saying how maybe you think that we should be treating them more like tools rather than trying to make them into these humans that will never really be humans. I mean, the future is, from what I can see, is all this smart stuff. Mm-hmm. And I honestly don't think that is going to be the way forward. I'd I've already heard people do not want to be told what to do by their cupboards or their fridges. <laughs> mm. And we need to be careful that we're not training people to be less smart or to replace computers with their own abilities. So I noticed that I've, I'm more likely to forget when I've put something in the oven now if I don't set a timer with Alexa mm. and I don't remember. I rely on that too much. People can make shopping lists, so we don't need something to do that for us. I think we need to be careful with that in that mm. respect. And I think we need to be careful on the psychology of what we do to humans when we have all this ubiquitous computing. It is going to be everywhere. Is it going to be in our fridges? We have smart thermostats. We have, I mean, how many places can you have notifications now on your body? You have it in your pocket. You have it on your wrist. You have it in your face if you had like Google glasses. Mm. How Mm. many limbs do we honestly need notifications on? Mm. (laughs) To be told that it's someone's birthday. And like even now, how many friends do you remember that it is their birthday without Facebook prompting you? Mm. Yeah. I want the world or the future of UX to be more accessible in that respect. And we can do a lot to fix that at the moment without going into ridiculous ideas Yeah, <laughs> where you can put, I don't know, notifications in your clothing or on your ankles or on your toes, like just because you can. I think we need to make the, what we have already smarter. And I mm. don't mean just by connecting to the bloody internet. Yeah. I suppose that's a, an advantage to things like Alexa as well because you don't need a graphical interface with it and it allows people who are visually impaired to be able to interact with something mm. and they're not at a loss. In that respect, they're not disabled. They're as abled as the rest of us because, okay, fair enough, I can physically see the piece of hardware that Alexa is on, but I don't need to see it to talk to it. Yeah, mm. it could be hidden. It still works exactly as it was meant to work. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. 
Yeah, that is really interesting. And we've talked before about smart devices and and you know i think both of us are also quite skeptical about that kind of side of things as well for, for similar sort of reasons but it's interesting to hear it from from you and sort of talking about the fact that it's like just putting it everywhere doesn't make it better you need to actually think about what you're what you're doing and what you're allowing people to do and w- this is something that we said was we were like we talked about the internet of things as a concept and it's like you're just adding the internet to things and that because doesn't you mean that it's better just because it's got the internet on it and and i think you're this sort of a similar thing it's like just because the internet's on it doesn't mean that you can y- your interactions with it is any better absolutely and i think at the moment the tech industry is quite naive like if you look at all the adverts it includes diverse people, but we know from discussions within tech that it, it's not been built by a diverse team. Mm, and yep. when it's like you see all these Amazon drones flying everywhere, and it's like ten to one they're gonna get nicked. Like <laughs> you live in a happy, happy-go-lucky neighborhood in your advert for about 10 seconds. That's great, but in real life, we can't even click on a pop-up without it shaming us. Like. Yeah. Tech can be used for malicious reasons and it's not about ig- ignoring that to just push on and push things that you know are great in a conceptual or conceptualized world. We need mm. something that's realistic and at least addresses some of these issues. I think at the mm. moment we do need more diverse teams to be building this to understand the situations that it's actually going to be used. Yeah. Not in some perfect green neighborhood in America, yeah. in Silicon Valley, <laughs> where weather is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> you try putting those drones in Manchester, it'll get rained on. <laughs> Promise. And they'll be nicked. I can say that from Manchester. <laughs> I resent the uh, the attack on the northwest there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm from there, it's fine. <laughs> One of the, the things you said about uh, about having a diverse team, I that sort of resonates. One of the things I was going to mention was because you touched on it really briefly regarding like accessibility, and to me that's actually something that we don't do anywhere near enough of. But often is the sort of source of these new methods of interaction coming forward. Like I remember I I was talking to a friend of mine a few years ago and. He has real trouble. I, I can't remember exactly what he like. He, he struggles with like his te- the medical term for it, but he struggles kind of getting his thoughts down to paper in a cohesive way. But he has no problem vocally saying what he what he's thinking at all. So like he has this software that allows him to kind of say you know it's kind of like just speech to, to to text software, but like some advanced form of it, and that made a big difference. That allowed him to do his his uni work, and that sort of the kind of thing which I think maybe would be really beneficial to push towards in that sense, because that benefits people rather than it just being forced upon people to be used. Like I don't need to be able to use my phone to say set a timer. I can just press a button, but maybe someone that struggles with hand-eye coordination to press that button does need that. So having that more accessibility focused dev team in the first place would probably be the way forward in that sense. Like I think that's definitely a very positive way to use this. Absolutely. And extending it on accessibility, I myself say that I'm an inclusive design advocate because I include cultures with that as well. Mm. Not every country at the moment has top speed internet or amazing smartphones because they can't afford a phone that's a bloody grand. <laughs> that is <laughs> <Exactly>. in bed. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Yeah. So we need to take that into consideration as well. So even in, in places like uh, London, like where I live, on the 
tube, we still don't have great internet. Yeah, in Barcelona, they have it when you're inside a tunnel. Mm. But, you know, London wasn't built to have Wi-Fi included in platforms and, and tunnels and yeah. things like that because it was built in like 1800s. So even yeah. in when you think you're in a developed country, there are still limitations to people's devices and circumstances. And even then you have like parents, they'll have a child in one arm. They don't have the extra hand to be using your teeny tiny apps to have you know, with two hands there are still circumstantial uh, impairments as well yeah. that you need to consider with these devices. So it'll never end, but definitely inclusivity as a whole with impairments and culture and mm. the rest of it is definitely the way forward for me. Mm. See, this is really frustrating because we've, we've kind of hit that mark on the episode where we sort of need to be wrapping up, but I feel like we've just sort of like touched on a really interesting topic regarding yeah. accessibility, inclusivity. That's something we could probably do a whole other episode on. Well, maybe we should, maybe that's maybe what we, we do. could. Um, and maybe you would like to give us some suggestions about that. Like, uh, do you think maybe we've missed something out regarding this discussion? Or have we really opened your eyes regarding such a an unsung hero of the tech world? Do let us know what you think about that one. Yeah, you can, if you've enjoyed this, as, as Seth says, let us know if there's anything else you want us to talk about about this kind of thing. Maybe we can get Elle back on to talk more in detail about some of this stuff, because I think it's really interesting. You can email us at show at octal.fm. Or you can find us on Twitter at OctalFM. Um, you can come and hunt us down on Facebook if you want. But in the meantime, thank you so much, um, Elle, for joining us and talking about what you do and what you're passionate about. Um, it's been really, really useful and really interesting. Thanks for having me too. You're very, very welcome. Where can people find you? I am on Twitter at eChesters and I also have a blog and my portfolio on eChesters.co.uk. If you like what you've heard regarding this, I'm sure you've got a lot of stuff on your website and on Twitter that you can maybe talk about and people can ask some questions to you. I'm sure you would be happy to to take those. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's been really good having you on. It's, it, it's been a really different discussion for us because like the other kind of guest discussions have always had a very similar feel to them. This has definitely been a unique one and I've really, mm. really enjoyed it. It's, for me, it's been something really eye-opening too. It's not something I've ever really thought about, which is sort of the point of the episode, I guess, isn't it? So thank you very much. No worries. Thank you. And in the meantime, for everyone listening, um, catch us again for another episode very soon. Gelada and I are joined today by Elizabeth Chesters. Are you there? There, there. Gelada and I are joined today by Elizabeth Chesters, a user experience and consultant. Ah, fuck, fluffed it. Gelada and I are joined today by Elizabeth Chesters, a user experience consultant and software developer, as we develop... De- develop? How- why am I struggling with this? This headset um, makes me feel like I'm on Twitch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so it's like... Wait, I actually didn't have anything to say there. <laughs> <laughs> Like what? Uh, or more specifically, uh, humor. Yeah, that's my degree here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>